Welcome to episode 42 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It's my pleasure to welcome Christy Chadwick to the podcast. Christy is a relational therapist and a deaf educator, bringing mindful and yoga principles, energy healing modalities, plus evidence-based therapeutic models to her practice with families and practitioners in the field of deaf education. In 2016, Christy completed her master's in deaf education from Washington University and later completed her degree in marriage and family therapy in 2021. She brings these together in her work of deafness relations, where she helps hearing parents of deaf and hard of hearing children gain clarity and help them navigate their emotions. Christy is also an advocate for deaf education services in Hawaii, and founded Hawaii Hears in 2017 to bring more services to the islands for families and their children who are deaf and hard of hearing. You can follow Christy on Instagram, Facebook, or send her an email at hello at christychadwick.com. That's hello at c-h-r-i-s-t-y-c-h-a-d-w-i-c-k dot com. It's my pleasure to welcome Christy to the podcast. So, Christy, welcome to the podcast. Would you mind sharing more about your background? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Todd. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, my name is Christy Chadwick. I am a marriage and family therapist as well as a deaf educator. I have a master's in deaf education from Washington University School of Medicine. The program of Audiology and Communication Sciences, or PACS, like we like to right. call it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just graduated in November with my master's in marriage and family therapy from North Central University online. Wow. Wow. So let's start with the the um, deaf education. How would, you know, because I'm always interested in terms of deaf education, and I'm in speech language pathology as a background of how people discover this, this work. So how did you get into deaf ed? Well, it was a little bit winding this road (laughs) towards deaf ed. Um, you know, initially growing up, I had wanted to maybe work with kids and then I stepped back and I thought, well, maybe I want to go into marketing and, um, public relations. And so I actually got my bachelor's in communication But um, if I think back to how this all really started, it was when I was about five or six, I was learning sign language with a performance group called Hands in Harmony in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where I grew up. And I would sign to songs like The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I, I learned a lot about the language. I didn't really understand about deafness at that Mm. point. Right. And so then in college, when I was getting my bachelor's, I was immersed more in the culture, in the community. I had a professor who I learned from 
um, for about a year, I I did a foreign language for sign language and he was a deaf individual. Mm -hmm. And I learned about how he grew up, you know, he probably grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s, where his parents did did not sign. So Mm -hmm. he didn't really connect with his parents. He didn't have conversations with his parents. And then after I graduated from my bachelor's, I went in to learn more about sign language in Fort Collins, where I was really immersed in deaf clubs and all of the deaf population down there. And I came, I came up against this so many times where I would meet peers who were around my age or older who had never really had a conversation with their families, had never right. communicated with their parents. And I, it pained me. I was so sad for them that they didn't know what it was like to connect with their parents. And um, so that ultimately set me on this journey towards how can I help my deaf friends connect with their parents? Mm-hmm. And I thought I could start as an interpreter. And then I decided I didn't want to interpret. I wanted to be a teacher. So I looked for programs and I found Washington University. And a few years later, I was um, accepted. I lived in St. Louis for several years and I learned how to be a teacher um, for deaf and hard of hearing children. And so did you uh, do a rotation through uh, CID? I did. Yeah, I <laughs> My rotation there was um, for the uh, zero to three population in mm-hmm. the in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Yes. They have such a uh, with Fontbon as well, and uh, and uh, having a big emphasis on speech pathology and deaf education, and and of course uh, St. Joseph's Institute and the MOOC uh, Center. Um, mm-hmm. Lot mm-hmm. of. Uh, different programs serving families and children with hearing loss. Yeah. St. Louis is an amazing hub for a lot of different disabilities, but Mm -hmm. it focuses, there's so many things going on for the deaf population. Um, You know, they have this special school district as well that goes into the schools and helps um, provide any services that children need within the schools. And, And so how long were you a teacher? Well, um, after grad school, I graduated in 2016 and, um, you know, that year, the last year of school, it was like, uh, four practicum rotations. And, um, I did teach at the MOOC center before I entered grad school. So I was able to get into the toddler classroom there and learn a lot. And you need a medal for doing that. (laughs) We're going there and being <laughs> being there with Betsy and and Jean maybe to watch over you. Uh, that would be a little intimidating. It'd be intimidating for me if I if I did it. Yeah, yeah. I think at the time I didn't realize how amazing you know they were in the field, and I you know I was new into the field, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh great, I get to learn from Betsy. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I learned from Betsy, and then um, got into grad school and. Did a couple practicum rotations, uh, you know, through grad school, and then I moved to Hawaii, where I taught for a year in an elementary program, and that was it. Um, mm-hmm. I stopped teaching in the public school sense, like in in the traditional sense of teaching, right? Um, and started my own organization, right? 
And um, so let's talk about your organization and then uh, your your other degree that you have, your other background, and maybe where your career is moving now. Sure. So in the school district, and we had been taught this in grad school, that when we get out of St. Louis, it's going to be very different. There are not going to be a lot of services or access for these children, and we are going to be the experts, and we're going to need to advocate for our children as much as possible. So I saw that very clearly when I entered into the elementary school. I saw the disparities. I wanted so much to get more services for the kids that I was servicing, but I didn't feel like I could do it in the school district. So I left the district and I started an organization called Hawaii Hears. Mm -hmm. And it's for really advocating for these children and supporting the parents because I believe, and I've seen that parents are going to be the ones to ultimately make the change for their children. Right. Yeah. So I really, I've worked for a good year, just networking, talking to families, asking them their stories, asking them what they needed, what kind of supports they weren't getting and what they mm-hmm. wanted to, to get. And um, I did end up working for early intervention for a little while here in the state. And mm-hmm. um, that was tough because the way that it's set up here in Hawaii, there's only one deaf educator for the whole entire state. So that person services the birth to three 90 some children wow. and Hawaii is actually the highest in the nation for babies born deaf or with a hearing loss. Wow. So it's one in uh, four, um, four, no, wait, four in 1000 versus right. like the two in 1000 nationally. Right. right? So um, there's a high population and not a lot of services happening. So that was my mm-hmm. ultimate goal in creating Hawaii hears. Wonderful. And so how, how do the services work? Do the families have to find you or do you get referrals from other professionals and then you connect with families? Uh, how does, how does it work? You know, I, at first that's what I kind of wanted it to look like. I wanted to provide the services, um, but it quickly fell into this place of, I can't do this by myself. I can't provide services for all these children on my own. Right. And parents and many families are not able to afford services. So I've gone different routes of maybe, you know, a nonprofit. I founded a nonprofit mm-hmm. right in the heart of the pandemic. <laughs> and that also didn't really pan out. Like there just was a lot of uh, stuff going on, of course, with families not getting what they needed. So what I decided and what kind of organically happened was to connect with other organizations that were already providing online services who had access to a team of teachers and mm-hmm. they also had the funds to pay the teachers. Okay. So yeah, yeah, which has worked very well. We've been able to connect with many families around Hawaii to provide virtual services um, and then we also have an organization coming through in November to provide a parent conference for parents who have children with cochlear implants or hearing aids to help nice. them learn about um, how to raise their child. Mm-hmm. Very nice. That's excellent. So yeah. um, 
So how have you uh, enjoyed working in telepractice or virtual in a virtual sense? Mm-hmm. How has that gone for you? It's um, It's been okay. I think <laughs> uh, going from the in-person model, of course, with kids, it's, it's so much more difficult to go virtual. Um, and I've actually switched gears from working with the children directly to working with the families right. more specifically, especially with um, now my degree in marriage and family therapy, mm-hmm. where I, I wanted to be able to specifically support families in the way of their mental health and emotional processing of all of this. Because Mm -hmm. as we know, 90, 95% of children who are born deaf are born to hearing families. Right. So this is the first person that they've ever met who has a hearing loss and they have no idea what to do with it. Right. So there's so much grief that comes up. They don't know what to, how to connect with their child. They don't know what to, how to process this. And then there's an, uh, an influx of they're inundated with information and then there's the groups online that are telling them what they should or shouldn't do. Right. So there's confusion. And when I was a teacher of the deaf, I felt like I didn't have the understanding of really how to support families through this process. I was just there to teach the child and, um, but the family is really ultimately what's going to make the difference for the child. So, um, that's been my focus primarily in working virtually for sure. Um, not so much in person anymore, but just working virtually with families to help them cope and understand what it means to have a deaf child. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about your other uh, degree that you've been mm-hmm. able to fit on, on top of this deaf, this deaf education perspective or, or training um, that marriage and family counseling. And I think it's so wonderful because there's very few people um, in the field would have that combination of skills or or training to be able to do it well. Um, I think back to you know David Luterman and and others in the field who used to you know focus on parent support and 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 counseling and how you know our professions you know deaf education speech language pathology audiology. Um, really don't get enough training in how to do this and do it well. And and we end up knowing, we know enough to be dangerous. <laughs> That's <laughs> is sort of how I view it. Yes, yes. And so we need, we need more training. We need to know more about how to support families appropriately. And so let's talk about your decision to, to go back to school to get another degree. So um, how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, part of it, happened because I wanted to figure out a way to bill insurance because as a teacher <laughs> of the deaf, I couldn't bill insurance. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but ultimately, you know, the bigger picture was that I wanted to have a better grasp on how to support families throughout all of their difficulties, especially within the marital relationship that mm-hmm. so many parents are coming up against this need to figure out what to do. And sometimes one parent will want one thing and another parent will want another thing, a different thing. And as the teacher of the deaf, it wasn't my role to step into how to help them decide 
and come to an agreement. Right. And so as a marriage and family therapist and a, and a relational therapist, I can come in and help them process through that, not necessarily giving them a decision. That's not my role at all. It's mm-hmm. more of how do you each talk to one another to give your perspectives, to share what you're feeling, to then come to an ultimate decision because they both, I, I almost hundred percent know that they both want what's best for their child. Right. And that's ultimately the goal. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as you look at the, these professions, early intervention, deaf education, speech with language, pathology, audiology, um, what is it that we need to know to do better? You know, in terms of working with families, what do we need to, what what are you seeing as being one of the problem areas? Hmm. Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, if I go to the practitioner and I see, you know, I've, I've talked to so many different practitioners who are just overwhelmed and they have so much work going on that, you know, part of me wanted to create a program to help practitioners with their Mm self-care, um, which maybe is like the first step. Um, and then in, in terms of like the continuing education portion of what do practitioners need to know in order to work and support these families is I think to have a really good referral network, right? Know your limits, know Mm -hmm. what is available to you. If you're not in a space or have the education or understanding of really how to help parents with their marital struggles, then know someone that they can go to and give them the support and the resource that they can get that that will help. Right. Um, And then just as practitioners feel into like this, the, the way that you do practice. So if you do support the child one-on-one, then how can you also teach the parents to support the child in that way? Mm -hmm. How can we teach the parents to utilize these strategies of listening and language and access at school and help them to advocate for their child in school so that the child can get the best support that they need to grow and learn and be successful in life. It's um, helping with communication mm-hmm. and giving parents the tools to be able to, to do the things they need to do. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I noticed on your website, a uh, very nice website, by the way, mm-hmm. um, you have some other areas of training related to counseling and, and, and helping <laughs> the helping mm-hmm, professions. Mm-hmm. Um, Reiki is something mm-hmm. that I'm very interested in on a personal level. Okay. And would you mind just sharing how that came about and, and what your view of using um, Reiki as, as a maybe counseling or healing method? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, if you asked me this about two years ago, I would, I it would probably, I, I separated it a lot. I separated Reiki out from my professional life, right? Mm. Because it seems so distant. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has grown into being more integrated. And I totally believe in integrated, integrative care, integrated um, work. And with Reiki, it is this 
energy modality that helps mm-hmm. to clear out um, any kinds of things that are going on that we may not be aware of. And sometimes um, like Reiki energy also helps to just calm the situation. Um, and I don't specifically do Reiki sessions, but Reiki is now like a part of my sessions, no matter what. And it's a part mm-hmm. of this conversation right now because it can activate and it's already integrated in who I am as a person. Um, yeah. And I, I learned Reiki, um, over a decade ago because of a car accident that I went through and I started learning about the body healing and Mm -hmm. the, um, energy field and our emotional body and how our body stores emotions Mm -hmm. and learned about how to heal in different ways, um, including acupuncture and massage and chiropractic care. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And now I also, uh, I implement some essential oils now and I do yoga and I have uh, now a certification in um, emotional freedom technique or tapping, um, which is similar in a way of uh, accessing the subconscious mind and bringing those mm-hmm. to the conscious um, to kind of uncover any uh, limiting beliefs or things that are holding us back to help clear them out and also give our nervous system a place to calm while we experience difficult emotions. Right. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. And and how how do these influence your work with families? And um, you said it, it, it's always there, you know. So how how does it influence what you're doing? Hmm. Yeah, I think it, um, in a way, it is a part of who I am. So because it's a part of who I am, it's going to be a part of the work. Mm-hmm. And um, there's going to be discussions around emotions and feelings. And then sure. I'm also going to bring tools in to help process those emotions, uh, whether it's with EFT tapping or with Reiki or mindfulness and meditation practices um, and uh, movement practices. Also, if we need to move the mm-hmm. body, how do we move to get this stuck energy out? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm also curious a little bit about, um, you know, the general philosophy and where you come down on this. You know, I, I've I've heard um, presenters at conferences when they talk about counseling, they'll talk about, um, you know, if if your parents aren't angry, they need to be angry, because that's mm-hmm. a, that's a stage they have to go through, and uh, and they need to go through all these stages, and and it's sometimes presented as sort of this linear process of one mm-hmm. stage after another. And then once you get through all these stages, you're going to be, you know, it's all fine and, you know, rainbows and, and unicorns at that point. And, and you're, you're going to be fine. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't work that way, obviously. So, so how, right. you know, my, my personal philosophy is, is, Basically, it's it's sort of this ongoing process of adaptation, um, mm-hmm. you know. So, have you faced those, you know, the, those, you know, five or seven stages of of grief and then all these different things of acceptance? Mm-hmm. How do you um, 
talk to families about those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely cyclical, right? It definitely <laughs> right. goes in waves. It's not going to be a linear path and then it's whoops, mm-hmm. gone, done. No, right. no more of that. It's it's okay. Um, it's going to come in waves at different stages of the child's life. You know, when it, that when they're born to when they're three, to when they're entering school, to when they're going to right. college, it's, it's going to come up. And, um, part of my work and what I say to families is how do we get comfortable with the uncomfortable mm. when you're feeling uncomfortable in that anger, or you're feeling uncomfortable mm-hmm. in the grief, or you're feeling uncomfortable in this guilt that you're not doing enough. How do you get comfortable with it? And it's part of the acceptance, I, I think, too. It's kind of similar in that way. Mm-hmm. And how do we just come to terms with it? That it's going right. to be there. And then we work through it. And that's right. kind of the first step. Yeah. Right. You know, I've I've talked to, um, you know, adults in their, you know, mothers and fathers in their 60s and 70s who talk about their now grown children with hearing loss mm-hmm. and, and they still cry, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it, you know, it's this idea that you, you'll, you'll get over it. You know, mm-hmm. I do think it probably gets easier as time goes on, but, you know, I, I remember uh, being at a support group and this, you know, the, the, the older couples, they would still get choked up about that first diagnosis. And when this happened and when that happened, when the, you know, these adults are now in their thirties and forties and older, you know, are sitting there, you know, and uh, and these these families are still crying because they had that experience. It's all still very fresh in their memory. Right. So right. it's amazing. They're sort of re-experiencing that sometimes mm-hmm. when as they talk about it, uh, right. and that's some of the work we do with tapping as well. Is if I'm working with a parent of an older child, we might tap on the collarbones, for example, if they're re-remembering or retelling a story about the diagnosis, for example, and it brings up the, all the emotions and it's almost like re-traumatizing if right. you go right. that far in a way. And it helps to then calm the nervous system as we are tapping to let that feeling come through and then let it kind of clear out of the system so that they can tell the story. And it's, and sometimes just kind of processing through it again and again will help to alleviate the intensity of it. So we're looking for like the intensity and then the decrease of the intensity as we work with the tapping modality, for example. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read a little bit about the tapping and, and seen some of that uh, before, but I wouldn't, I wish I knew more about it. So Mm -hmm. uh, be interesting to to dive deep into that. And so if you had to to just make some recommendations to uh, new new teachers, uh, new early interventionists, new SLPs starting their careers, uh, or even the more seasoned ones, uh, what would you recommend in terms of either you know services for kids you know with hearing loss or the counseling aspect, you know either or all of it? Mm-hmm. what What recommendations would you might have uh, for or professionals out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I um I appreciate this question. I've been thinking about it in terms of looking at the new graduates coming out and the wide-eyed 
view that they might have. And I, I appreciate that they are excited and that they are enthusiastic and they have new ideas. And I want them to come out with all of those. I want them to present those and to advocate and to stand up for themselves and for their kids as they get into whatever job they're going to go towards. And to also have a space for listening and a space for hearing the parents for what Mm -hmm. they need, because the parents are going to tell you exactly Mm -hmm. what is going on and what they need and what the child needs. Mm -hmm. And to also listen to colleagues and to listen to their admin, if they're, if they're in a school or if they're in a private practice, whatever setting it is, it's, it's listening for what has been going on, what has been working, what hasn't been working, Mm -hmm. what have they tried and what can we try that could be different Right. and how can we go forward in, in a, in a different way if we needed. And in a similar way, what, what would you say to the newly diagnosed uh, parents, the parents who have a newly Mm -hmm. diagnosed child? Mm-hmm. If they happen to be listening. Yeah. Um, I hesitate to say, do your research, go look at everything, mm-hmm. find it all because it's going to be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so the real solution I think, and for them to pay attention to for themselves is to take your time and to, of course, it's a, it's a hurry game in the beginning. It's a get some, some language as soon as possible and um, to get access to care that is necessary, whether it is hearing aids or cochlear implants or a, a deaf mentor, whether it's a signed mentor or a mentor who uses cochlear implants or hearing aids and to find a community Mm-hmm. And a connection with other parents who have been there before and who know what it feels like. Um, and then also to find the that space for themselves to kind of process what's going on and so that they know that they can take when to take the next step, like when to do the research, when to find the answers that they are needing. It doesn't all have to be at once and Right. In fact, it's not going to be. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a journey. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Good. Good advice for those professionals and for parents. Thanks. Well, Chrissy, how can people reach out to you if they want to uh, interact and get more information about all of these topics? How can they reach you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, my email address is a great way to connect with me. Hello at christychadwick.com. And it's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y-C-H-A-D-W-I-C-K. I'm also on Instagram at Deafness Relations. Um, Also Instagram at Hawaii Hears if you want to follow the advocacy work that I do here in Hawaii. Um, I also have some great resources and references on both of those Instagrams. Um, My website is hawaiihears.com or christychadwick.com. And on Facebook as well is at Hawaii Hears. So many options. I love to connect. I love to have conversations. And um, yeah, I'd be happy to have more community 
as we as we build together. So sure. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for your time today, and 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 best of luck with everything that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Christy, for joining me on the podcast, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck in all that you're doing to be able to combine marriage and family therapy with deaf education, as well as yogic principles and all the other things that you're doing. It is really exciting and, frankly, maybe breaking new ground in how we work with parents. So good luck with everything that you're doing. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Listening Brain. Please leave us a five-star review. That always helps us get new subscribers. And, of course, that's what we want to do. And so, until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.